just coming to church, and it's not just learning how to live righteously, but it's beginning to apply the work of Christ into every facet of life. And so when I go back to this creation account, and I read that God made humanity in his own image and in his likeness, you're kind of going, well, why? Except that it appears that he was wanting relationship. Now, he made us out of the dust of the earth, so it's not the same material, but there's something else going on that he wants in regard to interaction with us. And Now, I'm going to take it a little further than last week, so you're not getting exactly the same thing, but... I just, I haven't been able to get off of this, and so I want to chase this for a bit, bit further. When he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, you know, you feel, a number of years ago, this became a very important verse to us, right? And we were looking at the issue of when did God say to stop, and obviously he didn't. In fact, he reinstituted that declaration after Noah and others, so... There's some things here that, that perhaps are part of what we need to continue to look at. Um, what I want to point to this morning is that when God made these declarations, and this is a command, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, he then teaches them how to participate in that. And it's, a, it's a great parenting thing, so to speak. Not only do you set the general parameter and say, this is how our house lives, or this is what we're going to do as family, but then he, in this moment, takes them into the next sphere when he plants a garden and tells them, go take care of it, just like home, right? Tell the kids, go weed the garden. Um, it's one of those things where I, I've always looked at that and gone, Okay, but if he said, fill the earth and subdue it and take dominion over the earth, and then he puts them in a place and begins to teach them how to do that, that's really good parenting. In fact, when, when he brings the animals to Noah to name them, and he's told Noah, or excuse me. Well, there's a double thing here that I was. Noah wasn't the first time that the animals were gathered, right? Adam was the first time that the animals were gathered. And I assume it was like a two by two thing. And they're brought to him, and he's asked, What are you going to name this animal? Can you imagine the giraffe coming in and stooping down? to hear his name, or the elephant looking as I could squish that being, and him having God at the side of Adam, so to speak, saying, uh, what are you going to name this one? He's teaching them a, a pattern here. So he, he is taking it beyond just the, the general command. But he's, he's beginning to show them how. And that's kind of amazing to me. You know, that it's, a, in a sense, a sign of caring and investment 
and is saying, okay, I've made you in my likeness, now I'm going to sh show you how to operate. And I'm going to show you what needs to get done. And when I look at that, he, he's wired into us a capacity like his, not the same, but like his, to be creative. And he's wired into us also this capacity to develop things. And when we step too far away from that, we wander into things that aren't of health. And, and so there, you know, when we're looking at a, a culture that says, yeah, I, I just don't get why I'm alive. Well, you were designed like your creator and given a task that he has laid out in front of you. And if you don't come to terms with that, you never will find your purpose. And, and so when we go back and we read through this, and, you know, on day three, he made the plants, Right? But later on, he plants the garden. Why? Or the orchard. He's, he is in bringing his creation. He's bringing humanity into this and saying, I'll get you started. I'll help you figure out how this works. When, when we look at parenting... What a great model to say not only these are the house rules or this, how, this is what needs to be done, but then taking it that next step and saying, here's how we do it. Here's, you know, I'll give you this responsibility. I'm going to have you name them, but you need to know I'm calling you to this role. Now, obviously, things have changed a lot, Right? And we don't even think about those things, but has it ever truly left our systems? And is it ever truly something that we can be fully away? I, I tell people, if, if you're wrestling with even, you know, and you're bored and you don't, go plant something. You know, <laughs> you were wired for that for the start. So go, just go plant something. But also begin to look and say, what could I make? What could I develop? And as we step into those things, there is a, a satisfaction of life, so to speak, that we don't find otherwise. If we take this a step further, well, even in that, in that orchard, he plants a tree right in the middle and tells them, don't eat from this one. Knowledge of good and evil. If, if we were to take knowledge and combine it with our word experience, there's something inside of each of us that craves experience. And we know that there's a certain evil attached to it but regularly, we step into that kind of sin, right? But with it right there in the middle of the garden, they're going to have to deal with it because they're going to walk by it regularly. You can't just stay on the perimeter and avoid it. 
You have to look and say, I'm making a decision not to do this. And then along comes uh, the serpent and, and, you know, I think, you know, God has, has given them, the, again, another directive that says there is negative potential in this. <laughs> there is negative possibility if you step into this arena, don't do it. So he's given them command of what to do, but he also lays out a thing of saying, this is danger, don't do this. It's intriguing to me that when the serpent comes to Eve and says, did God say you can't eat anything or any fruit? And it's, it's this overstatement, right? You can't do anything? Well, obviously you're going to die if you don't eat. So, yeah, but it's overstatement. And we've looked at this before. When you use the term never or always with someone, that's a dangerous ground to be in, right? That's the language of Satan. If, if you look at your spouse and say, I heard that never. I, I tried that once with a spouse. It, it's not a good thing, but uh, <laughs> I've only had one. Uh, yeah. But... Uh, I'm, I'm just looking at that and saying, well, how often does that get caught into family life? You know, or even in our thinking of, God never lets me do this. God always wants me to do these kind of things. And you're stepping into dangerous zone because you're talking somebody else's language. And even in that, we have to learn to identify and say, no, this is danger. And we have to be willing to say, no, that is not true. That's not what God said. And we have to begin to walk through these things. It's interesting to me that when, when Eve looks at the tree, what's she see? It's, it's appealing, it's desirable, it, it, you know, it's got delicious written all over it. And yet, it's still not a good choice. And when we, when we look at such things that, you know, good for food, attractive to the eye, desirable for making one wise, what more could you ask for? And yet, God says, that's danger. Stay away from it. And we have to be willing to evaluate things in that light and saying, well, it, on the outside, it looks great but that doesn't mean a thing in regard to what is true health. And, and so I look at that, and I'm going, okay, why did you put it in the middle, God? And why did you set them up with it looking great? You know, it seems to me not quite fair in the natural. And yet I think that he was preparing for their failure before they ever fell. And I think that he knew what the decision was going to be. I mean, the plan from Jesus from the very beginning before creation was that he would die for our sin. And when God sees their failure, 
He doesn't avoid them. He doesn't stay away. He comes to the garden and comes looking for them. Now, they're hiding. You know, they've clothed them. They feel shame for the first time. They clothe themselves with leaves, and they go hide from God or attempt to. Good luck with that. I mean, it's about like us trying to do the same, right? But in that moment, God is reaching out and drawing them back and beginning the process of restoration and reconciliation. He is not severing the relationship. He is opening the door for them to be healed. Now, they have brought some incredible consequences upon themselves, right? They're going to die. They're going to have trouble in life from then on. It's going to change all of creation what this act has done. And yet God still has already made provision and is walking forward in that. And so when we, we go back to this and we're going, he, he, he developed them with a creative aptitude that is there for each of us. And we need to be willing to explore that in the Lord and say, teach me how to do this. He also, in a sense, when he created Eve out of the man, even though they're from the dust of the ground, he is a saying, you're the same material. Now that goes a long ways when we discuss racism, right? In today's context. If we're all from the same material, you can't say by nature they do this any more than you can say it of yourself. And it, it goes a long ways to saying we've got to find a way of interacting because we were made for community. And when, when he makes humanity first before the church, he's identifying the marriage relationship as the building block of all creation. And then to move that into family is like a secondary step of just saying, this is how things truly prosper. Now, we're in an age where, you know, the church has developed and we develop friendships that mirror family. And are, you know, the best scenario for populating the kingdom of heaven is to raise children in a way that they serve God as well. But in this, there's this, I'm looking at it when Jesus and Matthew says, the question is asked, Jesus asks, you know, who are my brother, or who are my mother and brothers? You know, his family has come to the door. And Jesus, it's kind of harsh in that moment, right? He he says, well, who's my family? And he makes this declaration, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he's saying, we have family when we're in right relationship with God. The likeness that we were formed in was designed so that we could be in fellowship with him. And so when we start to walk through this and we're going, That's incredible. How could that possibly be? Particularly when we come to him with our shame after we've participated in sin and we're going, do you even want to talk? 
And yet, if we look at the garden experience, we say he was talking from the beginning and he continued to talk to them even in their failure. It also causes us to realize that if we're going to continue to walk in relationship with others, that we have to learn how to act like he did. And we have to continue conversation. We have to be willing to forgive. We have to plan a way of restoration if possible. And so he's laying it all out is what needs to happen. So, you know, I I walk through these things and and, uh, I'm just astounded what's there right in the beginning. And then we begin to explore. Now, I want to share something. This is kind of a side story. I'm celebrating something this week, and it's loosely connected in my thinking. I don't know if we'll make the bridge with yours, but um, this week I had to go get a glasses exam with the state. And most of you know that I quit wearing glasses six, seven years ago. Uh, Maybe more. I don't remember. Um, yes, I've been driving that way. Um, I passed my eye exam for the first time in 50 years. <sighs> that doesn't happen. And I, you know, I was even hesitant to ask, can I take this without my glasses? Oh, yeah, sure. And I passed it, and then I said, I have worn glasses. I, that doesn't happen. I'm not arguing. I'm taking the non-restricted license, and I'm running. I come outside, and I'm celebrating, and, and uh, Char and Adam are there, and they're going, yeah, we see you're happy. Um, wearing glasses was always something I hated. And uh, in seventh grade, uh, I was told, you have to wear them all the time. And so I did. And uh, broke, I don't know how many pairs, like every other kid, right? Well, when we got the land, I was working outdoors, and regularly they'd slide off my nose, and, and I'd forget them. I'd put them on a stump or something like that. And the, the jobs I was doing didn't require the precision that glasses needed for reading or computer work or whatever. But I think what happened is that over time, my eyes learned to focus at different depths. And then I began to read some about eye strain and how to give your eye a break. When I first got glasses, I was the kind of kid that when I read, I might read for three hours, and then I'd complain of a headache. You know, and and so obviously you need glasses because you got a headache. Well, I didn't know anything about eye strain, didn't know anything about focusing, you know, taking breaks that way. It's just like, I'm in a good book, I'm reading till it's done. And yet that was not the best system of health for my eyesight, right? And so when I got on the land and I'm forgetting what is going on, and I get halfway home and realize, oh, I'm not wearing my glasses. Better go back and get them, you know. And then finally one day it's like, I wonder if I could drive through town without them. 
It worked. Didn't hit anyone on the sidewalk. No, <laughs> but uh, that said, I, I began to read and do eye exercises, and I've had astigmatism in both eyes, although currently I can see like the dots on those uh, monitors and such without the blurring or the double vision that normally is associated with that. So why did this take place? To me, in some ways, I'm heading back to original design. My eyes weren't designed to read six, seven hours a day or to stay in front of that computer. I was designed differently. Once we encounter issues of health and well-being, it involves physical, mental, and spiritual. And sometimes as Christians, you know, we just kind of well, there's no helping this. Maybe we need to look bigger, look wider, and begin to explore some things and say, maybe there are other options. Now, for me, I definitely will be wearing glasses and night driving. When I go into a town and I'm looking for a street address, I prefer glasses. But, you know, it's like hunting. You don't need a scope every day to see everything, right? or a microscope to, you know, those, you have to begin to evaluate and say, okay, what, what's needful here? And for me, it was one of those things I'm going, this doesn't happen for people, and yet it did. And that makes me kind of want to say, well, what else do I need to explore? What other things should I be doing that are part of creation? I mean, if... If the vast majority of people have had manual labor jobs through the history, why would God design people differently? He didn't design us to sit on our butt 10 hours a day. That wasn't the original plan. So if you're doing that, you're going to have to find alternatives to develop the health that you were called to as a person. You're going to have to find ways of getting up and stretching and, and, you know, taking, you know, breaks because your body wasn't designed for that. And you take that a step further and you're going, what was your mind designed for? It was designed for creativity and development. It was designed to be problem solving. It was designed to look and say, I could do that if I could figure it out. And to chase that in the Lord. I mean... He made everything, and he's saying, I want my people to be like that. Well, you know, to, to, to say, well, uh, that's impossible now. Let's, you know, let's just forget it. But I, I touched on this last week, but I, I, I want to hit it again. There are low levels of victory, whereas like... Um, when you, when you watch a, a program and it has resolution and you have that good feeling, you're like, it's like you're empathizing with something else, but there was a victory. And it's, it's okay, that's a win. But that's, that's, not your, that's not your victory. It's just empathizing with another's victory, right? Or if, you know, like with a video game, you... you 
you rule that game when you win, right? The competitive urge is huge. Why? Because you were called to have victories. But often we turn that on each other, or we, we take low-level victories and say, oh, that was wonderful. But we never branch out into the things that really matter. It, you know, even with the reading that I told you about, that it, you know, much of my life I've been a reader. But truthfully, if, if all you're doing is looking at the map and you never take the trip, it's a waste of energy. Right? If all you're doing is accumulating information, but it's not taking you anywhere, what good is that? And so we have to begin to evaluate our lives that way and begin to say, God, what have you called me to? And what do you desire coming out of my life? And as we begin to explore those things, it may be turning away from some things that have been standards for us or even forms of escapism, right? Because we're bored and so we found this outlet that kind of had a, brought a minimal satisfaction, but it doesn't really accomplish anything. And yet, at the end of the day, we kind of know that, and there's, a, there's kind of a, a growing distress or angst because, yeah, I really didn't get anything done today. Well, yeah, change your life. You know, find something else. When you send kids out and they're bored, that's a good thing. Because they're forced to say, I need to find something to do that's interesting. And it begins to develop that creativity. Or if you go and assign them to do something as a family chore, you probably need to also say, and this is how we do it to get them started. In other words, God gave that general rule, but then he also got very specific with the orchard. And he, he set a pattern as to how to get it done. <laughs> rule the earth. Here, it's the animals. Give them a name. It's incredible. It's not good for man to be alone. Here, here's, a, here's a partner. You're made from the same material, so don't, you know, if you don't like what you see, don't know what to tell you. You're no better than them. And they're meant to work together. So he's laying it out, he's establishing it, and he's showing them how to get it done even with their failure. So even in their sin, he's made preparation he said, I'll help you with this, and I'll take care of it. And, of course, the joy that we have is we recognize that Jesus Christ, his son, sent to earth, lived among us, died for our sin, risen to new life, gives us that hope of eternity with him. Where it says that in regard to a, a heaven on earth, so to speak, even the lion and the lamb will be together. The wolf and the lamb are, are not going to be, one's not going to be eating the other. 
It says the lion is going to eat straw or hay. Things have changed drastically even for creation. But what's ahead of us is that much more incredible because it's going to be functioning the way it was designed from the beginning. God has laid it out. It's not changed from the original command. He had an intent in mind, and that's what we will be participating in. So I look at those things, and, and uh, I just I'd say, our best days are connected to creating and developing. And if you're fighting depression, like I say, go plant something and, and, and then begin trying to make something. That's the start. That's not that, and that certainly doesn't cover everything, right? But it also, it's that you event, you look at your relationships and say these are essential to the way God has wired us. Not just important, essential. And so you begin to invest in a spouse. You begin to invest in your family. You begin to invest in community because. That's what you were called to and designed for, and you will not function healthily without that. And then you also know that when you do fail, there's already provision made. And that we have the opportunity of feeling shame washed away. You know, the first, <laughs> they, they were naked and felt no shame, and you're kind of going, Okay, that's an awkward verse. But then in the next scene, you know, after the fall, they're covering up and they're hiding. And God can bring you back to a place of no shame where you can enter into intimacy and relationship. And you can develop full trust for others. And you can begin to um, acknowledge that there's a, a wonderful opportunity here rather than just being afraid. And so I just, uh, again, I, I'm looking at all this, and I've been chewing on this for weeks, and you get a taste. But um, I give thanks to the Lord. I, I don't understand why a creator would make us the way he did. I just don't get it but I'm grateful for it. And it's the kind of thing that I'm going to keep thanking him for. It. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out whether Genesis was legit or not. Because, you know, I, I wrestled with the whole creation evolution thing for several years. And at some point, you're going, if I can't move forward, I am wasting a lot of time this is real. And the confidence that I have that God is real is such that I don't come back to this and try to nitpick everything, but I'm looking and saying, what can I learn from this passage now? Where can I go with this? Because once it's anchored in your heart that you've encountered God, it's kind of a moot point as to how. It's just saying, it did. And then it's like, where do I need to take this now? And so when I look at this and I see these things, I'm going, I need to be investing in things that develop and create. 
I need to be investing in relationships that build and encourage. I need to be willing to embrace forgiveness when I need it and know that God in his great favor cares for me anyway. Amen. Thank you for your scripture, Lord. It speaks life to us. We pray that as we continue on that your blessing would rest on us and that we would discover with joy the fullness of what your scripture has here for us. Amen. God's blessing upon you. Remind you next week, tourist park, okay? May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk in your presence, convinced of your love for them. I ask as each one goes into the community that you give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom, gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.